Welcome to, I guess, a live edition of the Reeducation Experience podcast. And um, today I've got Sharon with me. He's a guest that I probably should have reached out to when I started this darn thing, even prior to our new relationship. But uh, but Sharon Shivasta is here. And uh, he, for those of you know, of course, is the president of Real Broker. Um, those of us here on the call live, they're all my, are all people right now. So we know we're the fastest growing real estate brokerage in North, in North America, publicly traded. So that's pretty exciting. And we'll talk about that a little bit too. But before I want to welcome you, Sharon, I want to give you a, a few like highlight points um, for those listening. Okay. So here's a little background on Sharon. Keynote speaker. Some of you have heard him in person. Just amazing, right? Lights up the crowd. Published in a lot of things. A lot of us realtors, you know, and real estate folks aren't great at writing, but this guy is. So Wall Street, uh, Wall Street Journal, Success Magazine, Forbes, I've seen you in and more. Um, you've also been like a, a, just like an entrepreneur extraordinaire exiting multiple, multiple businesses at all different levels and some really big ones, which we don't have to throw numbers at because I know you're way too humble to talk about that. But like not for a couple of years, for like 15 or even 19 years, I think, right? Um, you have your own podcast. Are you still running that, Sharon? Yeah, it's called Business School. Yeah. So again, he's been on these before. He knows how to ask and how to like deliver. Um, again, a background with banking, right? Which is again a rare feat to, with a mix of all this real estate stuff with Goldman, with Credit Suisse, um, some big names, which helped you. I think you were part of like some some team building across the globe in those days. So again, bringing people together around mega topics, again, is something that you've had to. And then I know you've rolled into things like angel investing, you know, private fund managing, all really cool high level stuff that you bring that world. So again, coming from a humble, what, computer science background, I think it was, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you got an MBA in, in the mix, too, from Vanderbilt. So, uh, but I think beyond everything, I think you like to share, I mean, your love for your family as a father and as a spouse. So, uh, and he just commented, he he's in one of my favorite places in the world, Orange County. So, I mean, amazing, amazing. Thank you for being on the show, my fan. So he's a man worth listening to. You guys all get that? I hope so. So, Sean, welcome, Mr. Yeah. Mentor, friend, and I guess president. So. Yeah. First off, I thank you so much for having me. And I people don't realize how much time and effort and focus and uh, drive it takes to put a show together. It's for a lot of people, all they see is they hit a play button on their podcast app while they're driving to the gym and they hear this amazing experience. But the idea of actually finding uh, guests around the world that you love and, and admire, bringing them on the show, create doing, I know you, Darren, because you're so thoughtful, doing the research upfront, creating a great platform for them to share, bringing out, pulling out the best ideas for them, publishing the show, doing this all just so you can give back is a powerful, powerful thing. And I, I'm, I'm glad to be on this journey with you, my man. Oh, man, amazing. I mean, one thing if you don't know about Sharon is, is what I might have missed earlier is he's one of those guys that you will always feel like he's present with you right among all of those accolades Sharon somehow I mean you could easily dismiss some of the little guys and like the the commoners but the, the the ability for you to remember and be present in all of these moments is amazing like it's a it's a it's a level that I don't think I've ever experienced and I wanted to honor you with that comment like how is it that you do that among all of the, we're in a relationship business, right? All of us realtors. And to start here, I think is important because 
that level of impre- presence that you continue to do this many years into this business and the rooms you you get to grace and be a part of, how can we take a bit of that into our worlds? Can you, can you share and talk on that? Yeah, totally. And thank, thank you. I, it's actually um, behind every good habit or good trait uh, lies two things, some inspiration and some training. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is very intentional in a lot of ways, but it was not something that I woke up and said, I want to be this way. Uh, This actually goes to being Canadian in a lot of ways. And I'd say I'm honorary Canadian here, but the the I spent a day with Issy Sharp, the founder of Four Seasons in Toronto. I spent a full day with him and he told me the story. This was like 15 years ago. He told me the story, which was like blew my mind. He said, hey, Sean, you know, when. Uh, there's a family that goes to a a furniture store, call it a a restoration hardware or crate and barrel. And they see this beautiful table that they like. And it states $10,000 and they buy this table. And that weekend it gets loaded on a truck and delivered to their house. And they put it in their breakfast nook and the family builds memories around the table. Every time uh, I walk by that table, I touch it. I'm like, man, I'm so glad that we chose this table. At the end of the day, I walk in, I have an experience, I write a check, I get this thing and I to put it in my house and I get to touch it and feel it and experience it in a lot of ways. And he said something super powerful. He goes, well, when a guest comes to a Four Seasons resort, they come in they, with, with, with uh, a head full of dreams of this being a great vacation. And then it's pouring down rain or their reservation gone bad or there's the, the bed's uncomfortable or the, the faucet's leaking. And when they leave, they don't get to take the table home with them. They don't, all they get to take home with them are, is that feeling and those memories. And he said to me something so special. He says, we can't fix the weather or we can't fix the bed or we can't fix the faucet before it happens. But what we can help them feel is in every interaction with us, we can help them feel and know that they are the most important people to us at that point in time. And Darren, that stuck with me because if you ever go to a Four Seasons, you will see their front office person look you directly in the eye, right? And if you ask for, hey, where is the gym? They will not say it's around the corner. They'll say, let me take you there. They will walk you there. And the the power in helping somebody feel like they are the most important person at that time is is one of the best gifts that we can give somebody. And that was kind of, True, true gratitude to Izzy Sharp for sharing that with me. I mean, it's that. I mean, I love that analogy, and, and you're and you're very right. And we have this ability. We're in this awesome business to leave people with that because our whole job is meeting new people, converging over time, converging and conversations about real estate, which eventually drives our income, right? So that's not everybody's life, right? Our life is new people, new conversations constantly and and that that's pretty cool right thanks for sharing that i mean i know you you hold you host your own podcast you've been on endless ones of these you've answered every question out there and if i would have done even more research i probably would have you know found a bunch so my hope here is to hit you with a few other things that maybe you don't talk about all the time um some super tactical some little stuff and then maybe just some stuff like we just talked about in real estate investing for you, Sean, and we're all realtors, we're, we're building better, more wealthy agents under the model that, that we're in. Real estate investing for you 
has always been a big deal, right? You wholesale, you've done developments, you've done stuff. Are you investing right now? Is this the market for you to, for us as realtors to be considering investing just to start yeah. off with that? Yes, yeah, a great question. And uh, I am I am investing right now. So I'll give you a couple of pieces to the story. When I originally started out um, and I had no money at that point in time, everybody said, uh, you should buy single family real estate. You should invest in real estate. And so I bought a, a home for a little over $100,000 in Mount Shasta, California. I've never been to Mount Shasta in my life. My friend was an agent there. I bought this home. I didn't have enough money for the down payment. So I actually... Uh, got two credit cards and I got credit card advances from them, uh, $9,000 each. And I wrote a $18,000 check and the property cash flowed over a while. So that was my first investment. And it was interesting. I, I had no idea what I was doing. So over the years, I have uh, to learn more about investing. I just realized that I learn and by doing. So I've been investing a lot. And, uh, and here's the two shifts that I want to share with you. I met a coach. Uh, she's fantastic. Uh, she she helped me build and grow our last business. Tell us to grow it and then uh, get it sold. And she she helped me build a twenty five year plan. Hmm. And she said, Sharon, the reason why a lot of us make impulsive decisions is because we don't have enough of a timeline associated with making those decisions. So we're like, what is my ROI in the next twelve months? So we think that. And I, and I said, well, what's the goal for this twenty five year plan? She says, well, twenty five years gives you so much room and capacity to build something so great. And I said, well, how do I track doing this 25 years? She's like, 25 years um, is the big goal. Each year has four quarters. So 25 times four is 100 quarters. So take your goal. And in every quarter, our goal is to make 1% progress. Like that one shift completely changed everything for me because now I didn't, I never started to feel like I was behind. I just started to feel like, oh, I'm 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%. That way I had this 25 year plan. And that's when I started making a lot of investments. And then I realized this is stuff is going too slow. And so about a few years ago, we sold all our single, single family and like duplexes. We sold everything. And uh, I decided that I would do something much, much more longer term. And so I started doing multifamily. So we're buying apartment complexes right now. Uh, over the last year, we bought a thousand doors a year for the last year. So we bought 5,000 doors in the last five years using both our monies and other people's monies. And uh, the question has been with market changes, rate changes, et cetera, is, still, is this still a good time? And I will tell you that it is only, only if what I call hold economics feel good. Meaning if we have a five-year model, and, and that five-year model, if it works, great. But if something happens, what is my option there? Can I continue to hold? So I called it, if the hold economics are good, I don't mind buying anything today. So any of the apartment complexes we buy, we ask and battle test, say, if the rates go up, can we buy a rate lock and can we hold? Because if the hold economics work, we will be able to hold through kind of some volatile time. So all the investments we're making right now are to ensure that it is, has longer term time horizon. And if our hold economics work, if those two work, then we're, we're looking at it very closely. Lovely. So that, I love that. It's kind of just stretching that out and then breaking it down. And I also love that you said, and I've had this personal experience about you just made a choice to sell a bunch of all of this off and then reset. And I have people tell me all the time, like, well, why, why did you sell that? And I said, well, I felt like that asset ran its course. And then I, and it allowed me to liquidate to then reinvest into the new 
new whatever it was. And it sounds like you've done that a little bit, like your portfolio will and can shift over time, right? Yeah. So I'll give you two thoughts on that. And hopefully this is helpful for everybody. The first thing is uh, how we originally started to build something. It's over the years, it starts to become a hodgepodge of things. And and what we call it internally on our fund is we say that there is portfolio drift or style drift. We originally thought there was going to be 10 homes and now there's 12 with a couple of angel investments and it's drifting a little bit. Right. And so, uh, drift will happen if we don't manage it well. So it's okay. It's very natural. But the second is I'll give everyone this quote, which, which I've learned is to do great things. You have to do fewer things. It's really hard for us to know that to do great things, you have to do fewer things. And the easiest way to do fewer things is to just, is, is, is to make clean breaks with stuff. Why are we waiting four years to exit a portfolio, right? Because the clarity that it provides or the energy that it gives you or the space that it gives you to think in a lot of ways is totally powerful. Like I will tell you, there were times where I have let, I've walked away from investments, even though I've lost it. And the next day I feel so much better because it has released all the kind of emotional energy associated with this. Cause I'm a very emotional person. So when I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose money. I'm going to lose money. I'm like, I'm, I'm done. I'm walking away. You keep your cash it instantly opens up energy for you to go do more things because I know that to do great things, you have to do fewer things. And if you have 19 things going on, just cutting out the higher energy sucking things, even though you may have to take a financial hit sometimes, may be worth the consideration. Yeah, man, I love it. That's super powerful. I love that, just that that simple nugget of like the portfolio drift. And it's a great way to think about it. And I think we probably do that in normal business planning anyways, you know, you know, our real estate plan drift, you know, what the things come our way, you know, when we're scrolling social and we see somebody else doing something and all of a sudden we're drifting away from what the initial plan was. You probably see that a lot when it comes to realtors and like helping them negotiate this life in this business. Well, let's talk about that for a second, right? So all of us, as we're listening to this, so all of us consume content in some way. And if, if there is something that Uh, If we don't put rules or uh, frameworks in place for ourselves, we'll just utilize default behavior, right? And so when we're standing in line to get coffee, you just pull out your phone, you just start swiping. It's just default behavior. So my, what I, what I have kind of talked myself into is that if I open a social media app, I create before I consume. That's it. So if I open up Instagram, I don't start I don't start browsing. Let me post a story. Let me comment on other people's stuff. Let me create something before I start consuming. I open up Facebook. Let me create before I consume. That way, even if you get pulled away four minutes later, you have now put something great into the world and it forces creation. This is a creator economy. And so just by just by committing to create before you consume instantly puts you in the top 1% of everyone that is doing that is doing social media right now. So even if we can just force that upon ourselves, create before you consume, you're in a whole different league. Wow. Oh yeah. Like that's a bit like a aha moments for people just be like, yeah, I can yeah. do that. Right. Or why am I not doing that? Right. And uh, it's a great way to just like do it. Tattoo that somewhere on your forehead guys. Right. That's, that's the goal. Right. <laughs> um, so when you're doing this investment stuff today, have you had to change much then in this higher interest rate environment? Are you just choosing less things or are you just thinking more of the long-term outlook is still okay? Yeah. But it's just not as rosy as it was, right? Yeah. So so three things become super important in this environment. Thing number one is uh, we are battle testing assumptions a lot more now than before. Mm. So, so hey, look at that spreadsheet. The spreadsheet works. You're like, okay, what if there was a crazy event? Like what's going to make this go in the red? So you're actually battle testing the spreadsheet more now than we did 
otherwise. So that's number one. Number two, we are still, because of the size of assets that we're bar, bar, uh, buying, uh, leverage is a big component because that's what, uh, for a lot of people, you know, they don't like debt. Leverage is a big component that actually drives profitability uh, when you're buying big assets. So I'll give you a simple example. We uh, recently bought a $89 million asset. It's, that's that's largest I've ever bought in, in, in my life. We have a $66 million loan on that, that the partners had to sign personally for. I'm like, like what is, this is crazy, right? <laughs> and the crazy part about that is um, I was so comfortable taking that loan because I knew uh, one thing. And that one thing was that the cash flow payments of the property will hold true, right? And, and what I mean by that is we had to, we realized that even though the rates fluctuate, if my math works, I want to I want to get some kind of stability on this rate. So we we got what we call an interest rate lock or an interest rate swap. So essentially, we said, hey, we got a floating rate, but we're going to go lock it. That way, I know my debt service payments are what they are, so I can actually model for hold economics. So it a lot of times when me and my partner struggle with something, I just ask the question, like, what's making you nervous? Say it. Oh, I'm, I'm, uh, rates going up makes me nervous. Okay, cool. What else is making you nervous? I don't know if we can sell this in three years. Great. What else is making you nervous? I'm unsure about the property manager. Great. What else is making you nervous? I'm not sure we're buying another right rate. Cool. So when you have those, now you can instantly say, all right, I would fix the rate by doing X. I would fix that by doing Y. I would fix that by doing Z. Oh, I don't know how to fix that last concern. Are we willing to take that risk or not? Now you're actually, instead of just having a general feeling of risk, you have a specific feeling of risk. Moving from a general to a specific feeling of risk allows you to either say yay or nay, as opposed to just doing it based on feeling. And moving from general to specific risk has been like the biggest aha for me as a kind of a professional investor. No, I love that. I mean, that's powerful in that. And just those questions, right? If you can, and, and the more of those questions you answer with some reasonable level of confidence, the better. And then of course, there'll be a gap moment where you're like, I don't know how that's going to go. And you have to be just comfortable with what's left over. Fair to, fair to say? 100%. So let, let's do a really tactical real, real estate example, right? So a lot of um, agents will have a buyer consultation with someone. And they'll talk them through the buyer process, et cetera. And then what I always recommend uh, an agent will say is, hey, when you look at a home that you think you like or you're interested in, send it to me and let me run it down for you before you start spinning your wheels. And so the client will say, oh, yeah, Sharon, sounds good. I'm happy to do that. And then three days go by. They've looked at a ton of properties and they don't send you anything. Why? The reason is that we have not made a gen gen general risk, made it specific risk. So what I would do in that situation is, so let's say I was talking to Darren, I would say, Hey, Darren, um, whenever you find a property that you like, I would love for you to flip it to me so that I can do some diligence on it so that you don't have to. And then Darren's like, sounds good. So, so Darren, what, how do you actually look for properties? And he'll say, oh, I look for it on the realtor.ca app. You're like, great, show me. So Darren pulls out his phone and he shows me. And then you say, awesome. So let's say you like that property. Can you share it with me right now? Just so we can make sure you share it and I get it. They're like, oh, okay. And then they'll struggle. They won't know how to share it. You're like, share, put the text uh, number in the Senate. Okay, you got it. That's all you have to do. Now, Darren is primed to knowing exactly what to do. So now when Sharon goes home and he looks at a property, he's like, I just did this with Darren, so I'm going to do it again. The reason is we think that they listen to us and they're going to do whatever we tell them to do. Instead, what we got to get them to do is to solve that risk. And once they solve that risk, they feel mechanically comfortable. And when they're mechanically comfortable, they're, they're, they're into your workflow. That's, I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like some of the simplest things like that example, 
people will just, they'll hear you, but never do. And then, then they don't do. And then you're not able to provide the value that we're hoping to provide, right? We're, we're, we're left reacting and assuming. So, I mean, I, I love that you share that example coming from a $89 million investment purchase question down to a simple buyer consult and like, show me how to use realtor.com. Um, I love it. <laughs> um, I'm going to flip gears on this, on this now, away from the investing side of things. Again, I think that's something that you were talking about, even within um, one of Real Connects that you may want to, you might share a bit more of that into our ecosystem, I think, which is great because I know your experience is so wealth, uh, so wide there. One thing I've heard you say a lot is the power of email marketing, right? It's like your stick. And I think on, on the stage you shared recently, just again, the simplicity of it, Um so many agents don't do a good job with this, right? I don't, I don't know what it is. What do you think is the first barrier to execution on a realtor delivering a, you know, creating an email marketing list? Can you, can you go into that? Yeah, totally. So there's a, there's a bigger thought process here. I think when agents um, understand why it's important, then they're like, oh, okay, I'll go on, I'll go do the mechanics. Mm-hmm. And in the past, they have not gotten good results from email. And then they just say, well, email is not great. And the, there's a reason for that. And the reason is about 20 years ago, we were in this email newsletter arena where you would say, oh, every two weeks, I should send a newsletter, which has got like a bunch of things and a three, four homes for sale and a download thing and a couple of recipes and like a few things happening in Calgary and go ducks, like whatever, right? And, and the reason is that's what they've been used to sending and it's not gotten a lot of results. So there's, if you zoom out, there's something really powerful here. What's powerful is if you talk about marketing channels today, if you ask everybody that is here with us, and I said, what is the best marketing channel? You will, 80% of them will say something related to social media. They'll say YouTube, podcast, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, TikTok, et cetera. But the, the problem with all of them is this one thing, which is, all of them are super fast scroll platforms. It's a, you're scrolling constantly in the platform. It's so, you're scrolling so fast. In fact, we're scrolling so fast that even when we see a video or a photo or a post that we like, we don't even, we don't even slow down to double tap to click heart. That's why all the likes are down on all the platforms. The likes are down, not because you're not getting traction. The likes are down because we're all getting lazy that we're scrolling so fast, right? We have done, I've seen one of your posts and I'm like, oh, that's a great video. And I just keep scrolling. I don't even mark like on it, which is which is wild if you think about it, right? So, Darren, I've been in this mode of what slows the scroll? Email soul slows the scroll. We never scroll fast through email. We read. It says, Darren, Darren Langell, update in Calgary or have a question for you. You're like, wait a minute. I have to now evaluate that email individually to choose whether I want to do something with it or not. And having that individual discernment that I have to make on every single email gives us, gives people focus on that in a lot of ways. That's why direct mail is not a bad idea because I look at a piece of mail, I I may have to make a choice whether I'm going to keep it or toss it. But in social, you don't have to do that. And the nice part with email is we are naturally built to make the choice. We always look at the next email, make a choice, look at the next email, make a choice, look at the next email, make a choice. And it's been drilled into us that uh, a quick scan allows us whether to keep it or not. So First is like, let's find a way to slow the scroll. Because mm-hmm. if you're if you are in a platform where they're slowing the scroll and they're evaluating each email, you've already won because you're getting eyeballs on it. That's number one. The second is we've got to write email like we're writing to a friend. So Darren, let's say you, um, I love Def Leppard. 
right? So if Def Leppard was coming to the Hollywood Bowl, I would send you an email that looked like this. I would say subject line, Def Leppard. And my, my email would say, hey, hey dude, that's essentially what, hey dude, um, Def Leppard's coming to the Hollywood Bowl March 14th, 15th, wanna go? And I would paste the entire Ticketmaster link into it. I wouldn't say click here or anything. I would paste the dirty full long link right in the email and I would click send. That's all the email would have. So all the, the Gmail filters, the Outlook filters, all of them are trained to seeing a personal email like that being normal communication. Hmm. And so our job is to write more emails that look like that, right? So we should not write beautifully curated emails. You shouldn't probably say, hey, dude, to your clients, but maybe you, maybe you can get away with that. But you it should look in, like uh, a little Southern bit California, of Southern California, right? Yeah, <laughs> it should look like a little bit of text and one link because emails... Emails are like that. They're like, hey, here's some context. Go click. What is not normal in an email is a bunch of jiffies, a bunch of like play video things in there. Like that's not normal for us getting email. It's like a few notes and a link, right? And so if we start writing email, which is, hey, we just launched a new property on 123 Main Street. Uh, there are, it's already live and it's getting a ton of, a ton of traction. Uh, for my private clients, parentheses, you, I wanted to give you the photos that were not on uh, not on realtor.com or Zillow or whatever. Here's a Dropbox link to the 21 photos that are not anywhere. Please click here to check them out. And just put the full Dropbox link right there. That is a better email as a just listed than saying just listed, four bedroom, four bath, colonial, whatever. That, that is significantly better, right? So now when I click on the Dropbox link, I'm like, oh my gosh, Darren just sent me his private Dropbox link. He must think, you know, that we are close because we only send that to, you know, people that we're close to. So now that mimics a really good concert email that I would send to you, which is as the same structure, but it's also a new version on a just listed, which makes people want to read and click, which otherwise they're just swiping as marketing. So when we start to do more where, hey, how can I take this just listed email and make it more personal? How can I take this market update email and make it more personal? I'll give you my favorite of all the emails that I wish more people did. My, and Darren, you should do this because you're really good at this. You would make a great, let's say you made a great video on Instagram. You would then write an email that says, I just made this 51 second video on Instagram. It went viral. In fact, it taught me three things about life that I never thought before. Click here to watch it. It's only 50 sec 51 seconds long, right? Now what you're doing is you're dog fooding your own content from your email list. So now you can use your own email list to get more views on your own stuff. So now your clients are looking at your stuff, which they may not have looked, looked around before. So I like email both to as a, as a way to do what normal, like instead of doing the just listed, just sold, can I do something personal? Or can I start dog fooding my own content where I can get more uh, views that way? And starting to do things like that make email a lot more approachable for most agents. Yeah, for sure. I think even beyond that, I I think there's just an issue with agents managing client lists. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, the root cause, if they feel that, they're like, they haven't done a good job pulling that together into a CRM, into something manageable. And I hope agents just do that better because again, it makes everything easier, right? It makes sending that great email that Sharon just talked about better. If you've got cell phones in one place, if you've got addresses in one place, like our business gets easier when it's not everywhere, when it's not a mess. Does that, <laughs> hopefully that hits home a little bit. Dude, um, dude, let's do something tactical about that, right? I think that we just pay a part-time VA for one month, give them access to all our stuff and say, hey, 
this month, I need you to build me a perfect thousand person database. Look at my email, look at my Gmail, look at my Outlook, look at my connections, look at my whatever, look at Facebook what, and go build me thousand people, a thousand person list. Once you have a thousand person list, there's actually a great article um, by the founder of Wired Magazine called A Thousand True Fans. His name is Kevin Kelly. If everyone should read that, it's a one page article. It talks about how you can build the most loving, caring, profitable business with just a thousand people in your database who are your thousand true fans. So even if we told a VA or a virtual assistant or an assistant to just go and build a thousand person database and that was their project and you had them a single fee for it. After that, now you have leverage where you can just hit one email and send it to everybody. And that's impossible to beat. And, and I think, Darren, you hit the nail on the head because we are often not organized and not obsessed about it. We're like, oh, I'll do it later. And then since it's not an organized list and we're like, oh, I don't want to do it. I will also tell you just to try it. If you can just pull off a spreadsheet of your leads copy paste all your leads, put it in BCC, send one email, just you'll start to see more responses from that than you would with anything else. So uh, try it because if you can, when you're thinking about an email to send, think about this conversation about how Sharon is inviting Darren to a developer concert. That is how you should write all emails. And that makes email a lot more impactful than easier to scan. You know what I get sometimes when I try to coach this through to people? They say, well, how would I, I would just handle, I'd have so many responses. I'm like, since when is that a bad thing? <laughs> you know, I mean, that that's work, right? That's not just uh, social media, right? So, <laughs> I mean, that's the problem in this business. There's a bit of that, of course. I mean, we those are like general database emails. When if somebody's carving off a farm, like a community area, and it's now there's a specific audience, specific geographic area. Do you find if you have you heard of people when they built that curated, very localized email list? Did that works today too? Is that, you know, is that a powerful play to go after? That is, um, so building a hyper-local database um, is insanely powerful for three big reasons. Reason number one, it gives you focus on how to build, how to build that database better, deeper, more enriched. So it gives you focus. Second, it allows you to know exactly what you're talking about and who you're talking to because you, you know who that avatar is so you can talk to them well. Number three, if we have any thoughts of potentially exiting a business, selling our database, et cetera, somebody would be, would say, oh, Darren has a 450 person farm that he's been working for the last three years. He has a database on it. I will gladly buy the database because it would take me five to eight years to build that level of, of endearment with that list. So hyperlocal databases are, are my, my favorite. My favorite way of building a hyperlocal database is to do a very simple event, uh, which would look something like, hey, we're doing a recycling drive. And you don't have to do anything. If you're interested in participating, just send an email to this and just leave your recyclables outside on X day and we'll come pick it up. I've seen that in the US, I'm not sure in the Canada, but you can do a recycling drive, you can do a food drive, you can do um, some version of, or like we're gonna do canned food drive, something like that, where people now wanna make it easy for them, but they have to now sign up. And then you can just say, thank them for that. Now they're on your list. That is the fastest way to build a hyperlocal database. Yeah, I love it. I mean, in one of, in, in one of these modules that I created under community farm building, because I've had a lot of good success with farming and it's a lot of work, as you know, but it was like, you can't learn enough about the people in your farm, right? Like there's no, there's no, there's no end game there. You can just keep going deeper and deeper. And the deeper you go, the more powerful you get, the more the ROI builds, and again, like you said, you can monetize the darn thing, right? Which, which is really cool. Oh, I love that you shared that. Um, are you, are you, how are you 
suggesting people go about building their general database list when it comes to email? Because yeah. that's a, like, what do I say? How do I ask? It's just like, it, it stops everybody, <laughs> right? Yeah. Any, anywhere to go with that? Yeah, totally, totally. My favorite way to build um, an email database or at least to kickstart it, I give you my, my two favorite ways. Favorite way, number one, is I'm a big fan of not doing things on your own. So if we were in Calgary, what, what Darren and I would do, so let's say I was a, a mortgage broker in Calgary. I'm just making this up. Um, and I would tell Darren, hey, why don't you and I run a joint little Zoom webinar? And so we both will cross promote to that Zoom webinar. Darren speaks for 10 minutes. Sharon speaks for 10 minutes. We do 10, 15 minutes of Q&A. And then whoever registered for that, we share, we share the registration list. And I like that for one main reason, because it allows you to build a authority-based brand because now you're the one showing up and teaching something. And whether people show up or not, they still view it as, oh, if, if Darren and Sharon are actually talking about something, they must know what it's all about. So it's a nice authority-based branding. And it doesn't feel like, you, and you don't have to deliver like a, you don't have to make a PDF to deliver something or you don't have to do any of that. They're just signing up for an event. If they don't come to it, that's fine. If there's only four people, you get the replay and you say, hey, if, in case you missed it, here you go. And that warms up the list again. So my, I call them JV webinars. JV webinars are really, really powerful. They're free to do. And it also allows you to do some cross-pollination with other people in your network that, that don't directly overlap. So that's number one. My second favorite is, uh, it's called a list swap. And how I came up with this, it, it was not my idea. I have a friend who emailed me, Darren, and he said, Sharon, I would like to pay you to do a list swap or to email your list. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, all I need you to do is write an email to your email database and tell them to go to my free lead magnet, maybe a free book or a free article or whatever. And for every person that actually signs up and gets the free thing, I will pay you $12 per person. I was like, do you know the size of my list? I'm going to print money on this one, right? And I asked him, I said, well, why do you, I was like, just back, back up. Why do you think this is so powerful? So he explained something to me, which I want to share with you. He said, a lot of times we will run a Facebook ad and have someone opt in on an ad or a lead ad or opt-in page to get something. And then they'll sign up for the list and then I'll email them and then they never respond. So then I'm like, oh, Facebook leads are terrible. Instead, what he was doing was he said, Sharon, if you send an email to your email community, seven people read that email. That means they're readers of email. They clicked on a link because you influenced them to click on the link. They came to my page, they read my page, and then they opted in. That is the best possible op subscriber I can get because they are already email readers and email clickers. Getting an email reader and an email clicker to separate from a random Facebook lead is really hard to do. So, so, so an email readers and email clickers are a completely different breed than people that just buy stuff on social media. So he said, if I write, if you write a lot of email and they read your email and I write a lot of email, this would be perfect. I will gladly pay you for, for a subscriber because I know that every single subscriber that comes into my world is an email reader and an email clicker, which is the perfect person to have on my list. So how does that work for us? How it works for us is we've got to find somebody that we can do a list swap with. So Darren may tell me, hey, Sharon, I know you know a lot of agents. I have this course. Uh, it's totally free that I'm going to make it free for your audience. Would you mind writing an email to your audience and telling them that they can get my course for free if you think my course is valuable? And by the way, I'll write. I, Darren, will write an email to my audience telling them to go get your top agent power pack 
which is totally free. Now I take my audience and cross pollinate with you. You take your audience, cross pollinate with me. And now the list happens and you, no one has to even do anything, but just write an email to their list. Just those two things. You can jumpstart your list very quickly. Mm. Love it. How, what, what should an agent expect from a, you know, a well-run open rate? Like what is a typical, like what, what can we feel good about versus like, you know, you, you got to do better from a general database, not like that community specific, super niche, hyper local one. What are we looking at these days? Any, any idea or stats yeah. from all you've done? Yeah. You want to get to, you want to get at least uh, if you're starting to get kind of 20 ish percent open rates, that's a good baseline. If it's below that, that means there's something, uh, structurally long, wrong with email deliverability, you're having deliverability issues. That's where you're not getting 20% in a lot of ways. So I, one, I would do a baseline of 20. If you're starting to get 30 to 33%, you're doing really, really good. You're, you're top of the world, which is awesome. So number one, um, if it's, if you're in the single digits or teens, there's probably, you should probably just contact your email support, email services, support system and saying, Hey, I'm getting low open rates. Do you have an article on the settings that I can click or something like that? This generally like a settings thing. The second uh, way to get you, how I think about email is there are three things that I want a subscriber to do: open, click, reply. So I give open hundred points, uh, open ten points, click hundred points, reply a thousand points. Hmm. So to me, if I write an email and Darren opens it in his inbox, Sharana scored ten. But if Darren opens it and reads it and clicks on that Def Leppard link, his inbox scores Sharana hundred. But if, if he reads it, clicks it, and replies to me saying, I'm in, so the inbox is like, he opened, he clicked, and he replied, he definitely knows Sharon, and this is like a personal thing. So I have a thousand score in the database, and that warms up the database to getting uh, uh, you know, a whitelisted, which is really powerful. So what I like to do a lot of times is I play around with subject lines, where I'll do a subject line like I'm sending it to Darren. So instead of doing Def Leppard, I would do Def Leppard all lowercase. Because that's a very, so I'm not, I'm not being sneaky. I'm just trying to make it look casual, right? right? So so getting a subject line to open, a lot of times it's first to get the subject lines working. That's that's the second. And the second thing is uh, email, I keep them super short. So maybe one, no more than one to two iPhone screens in length or one to two mobile screens in length because people after one to two scrolls, they hit delete. So that's, that's number two. And number three, uh, I like to rotate my email. So I'll give you million dollar advice right here. I look at every email and I ask myself, t-shirt sizes, is this small, medium, or large? And I rotate t-shirt sizes. So my, one email is, hey, are you still interested in buying a home in Calgary? Send. That's it. Super short. Right? Medium would be um, something like, hey, we got a new home coming on in Calgary. It has these features. Number one, number two, number three, number four. By the way, I have 23 pictures that are not on not online. Would you like to see them? Click here. That's a medium because it has a few bullet points and like a full iPhone screen length. And a large would be, let me tell you about the story of the home that's coming on the market for the first time in 200 years. And you tell a story that's a little longer. The issue I've seen is people will just stick to the type of length that they like, and they'll do that over and over again. And, and, and the recipient doesn't know depth. So my suggestion is to just rotate small, medium, large, small, medium, large, small, medium, large. And that allows people to know like, this is actually real and they feel connected to it. And so the the quick and high Ds will respond to the small email. The analyticals will respond to the bullet points and the kind of the folks that are, that want the relationship will read the long ones. And so now you have the ability to rotate around those as well. So I like, whenever I think of an email, I ask myself, is it a small, medium, large? And then once I've decided that only then do I write the email after that. 
I love that for a lot of us. Um, and when we flip back to where we started this conversation about investments, right? Because again, you could easily go down the small, medium, large, just thinking about that, how you present an investment, because you're probably doing the same thing over and over again. I can think of myself. So love it. I want to ask you about video, right? You've been around some of the industry giants out there and certainly helped people kind of like sell mountains of luxury real estate. So you've seen the best of the best, right? Out there. Um, how about the importance of property video marketing for an agent that doesn't have big budget yet, right? The the best agents, they have the budget. They can spend the money, whether their profit lines are great, we don't know. But the average agent out there that we're talking to might be listening to this. The idea of spending a thousand bucks on a full marketing package for the listing, and they might only do six listings a year. Do they do that, Sharon, today? Is that where they should be throwing their money or did they, we could spend a thousand bucks a lot of ways in this business. Tell me where you think the importance of that when you get to be the listing chosen agent. Yeah, I think um, I'm a big fan of video and I think it's an important marketing tool. However, we have a judgment component on whether we think that Utilizing video in a certain property, you actually think it's going to do good for the property or it's going to do good for your brand. We have to figure that out because a lot of times we just think, oh, I should do video. I should do video is a bad way to start doing video. You should be like, I should, I'm doing this video because I want to find a great buyer for this property and uh, it'll, it'll create a good brand representation of me. Or two, I'm just doing this video as a brand play for myself. Once you figure out what it is, you can actually tell the videographer, hey, Mr. Videographer, this is a straight up brand play. So you may showcase the home, but showcase me and my experience a lot more, but I'm trying to make this a video about me. So the first question I want to figure out is whether I'm doing a video for the property or whether I'm doing the video for my brand. It'd be amazing if it was both, but that, that's the first thing. Second, if you're doing, regardless of whether you're doing the video for the property or not, I think it's super important to do some form of video content for every property that we do. So even if it's a, let's say, Darren, you, you, uh, if I bring on a property and it's a small little condo for $300,000 and it's like a studio, should I do a full base production for that? I don't know, not necessarily, but what I can do is I can do a green screen. I can do a very quick green screen video on it and say, hey, look at this property. And I can just do a green screen on it. And that still gets video content out because that's the medium that people are consuming right now. So whether it's super high end, if it's super high end and we're spending money on it, we got to decide and actually tell people, tell our video, video team why we're doing that and so that they have some knowledge around it. But second, even if we don't think videos warranted for the property. My suggestion would at least be to use some video content, even if it's like a green screen or an iPhone tour. If you're doing an iPhone tour, do it. That's fine. Hey, I'm with my iPhone. I know this is informal, but it's important. Just frame it that way. And then just take them to a tour. If you can't do the tour, just get a gimbal or something like that, just so your hand stabilizes. But small little things you can do that are powerful. The cool part for me is if you cannot spend a lot of money on video production, my suggestion would be take, get, just get a gimbal, uh, something that stabilizes your hand so you can do a walkthrough of the property, but do it on Facebook Live or Instagram Live. Because when you do something live, there is no expectation of it being ultra beautifully filmed. But if you do a, if you do a, cl a kludgy video, but it's not a live, they're like, oh, Sharon just low budgeted that one and it's not great. 
So the easiest way to kind of feel better about it is do the live and then you can, and if the live does well, you can even spend some dollars and promote the live. But if you want, we should still do video, how you implement it, either like a high production thing or just a live or just a green screen video. Each of them have their own merits and we should do at least one of them. Gotcha. So, I mean, it's find find your path to that because it's the, it's the, what the consumers want to see and then play your budget based on it. I love the question for me or for property, right? Sometimes, like you said, for both. And, uh, but just, of course, don't, don't discount it based on budget, um, which just tends to peak because we do compare ourselves to some of the videos out there that are only high production. And then you think I can't downplay this, or I just can't do that yet. Right. Yeah. Well, I'll give you a quick thought around this. In the real estate business, many of us uh, are very comfortable paying a 25% referral fee. If we're comfortable paying a 25% referral fee, now the question I would ask is if there's a property that you don't have to pay the 25% referral fee on, could you utilize that to build brand? Could you utilize that to do marketing? Instead of thinking, oh, I don't have the budget for it. If you were to have to pay the referral fee anyway, pay the referral fee to build brand for yourself. Hmm. Um, there's this great uh, agent in uh, Vancouver, Washington. His name is Shane Todd. He told me this. And he said, I'm going to assume that every single property, I pay a 25% referral fee, even if it's to myself. And he takes that budget and he uses it for all lead generation and marketing for his properties. And that has completely changed the way he thinks about everything because he doesn't feel like it's an expense anymore. That's crazy. That 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 mind flip right there would just be enough. Because I tell people all the time, I, I will forever. I'm not 18 years in this business. I will pay a 25% referral all day, every day. And I'm not, I'm never too good for that. I will take that business all the time. So I love that, that we do that here and drive our market forward. Love it. Love it. Hey, I had a, we, if you guys have questions for those of you that are live, put it in the chat and I will roll it in. Um, and then of course I, I could talk to you, Sean, for hours. So I have more questions that I'll be able to get into. I wanted to hit on one thing that, that you knew wrote you, down at the elite or sorry, at their one reel, you, you had a little private mastermind and um, you drew out three circles on the board. Do you remember the three circles about how you simplify this business down? I yeah. want to comment two things about this, the circles. I was hoping you could hit them quickly, Yeah. Um, but I also wanted to hit on this concept because I follow you and I follow people you coach that have really taught me over the years, the ability to simplify and to create clarity around this business, which we can likely almost always overcomplicate, right? Can you tell me uh, maybe generally how important it is for us as agents to think of our lives through these simplified frameworks so that we can better execute and, and, and the time we spend to just feel like we can get it down to something that's very ABC, how important that is for us and our success? Because I know you speak to this all the time. Yeah. It, it, it's a great question. And here are two big reasons, right? Big reason for simplification, number one, is that a confused mind stalls, right? That's what happens. So when we get confused, we're just, we just stall. When we get stuck, we just stop. And having a framework, frameworks are a lot easier to remember than bullet points. So I like thinking about the world and frameworks. And I'll, and I'll go through the framework in a second. The second reason for having a framework is it also provides for a diagnostic. So when something is not going well, I can say, hmm. Those are not that good. Oops. I mean, how, what do I do to need to do an upgrade on those? So when I think about something, I think about that. And here's the crazy part. We are in 
what we do is a, is very complex. We bring together, in, as a real estate professional, we bring together hundreds and hundreds of pieces of process, information, advice to make a transaction go smoothly. And the client has no idea in the client, in their head, it's jumbled. It's like, here's everything that Darren does. But in our heads, if it's not compartmentalized in really thoughtful frameworks, we can't transfer that to somebody else because then it confuses them. That's why frameworks are important. So if you ask me about, uh, let me give you a framework for building a million dollar gross and a million dollar net real estate business. There's three big components to it. Traffic. Traffic is like, how do you get more eyeballs to fill the funnel? But that's not enough. Just because I fill the funnel, meaning I got, I've got more people in my database. That's cool. But what next? Systems. Systems are to set appointments. That's conversion. How people think that we need to do brute force to set appointments. To me, I just believe that once you have traffic, you just need systematically to set appointments. And so you need systems to set appointments. So if you're not getting enough appointments, that means our systems are broken, not anything else. And the third is once appointments are set, now it's a function of skills and we use skills to get paid. So when someone tells me, hey, you know, um, don't have as many deals in the hopper as I do right now. I'm like, okay, uh, tell me about your lead generation. They'll say, well, you know, I work by referral only. I'm like, all right, you work by referral only. I understand that. But how many people are you actually actively talking to? Well, I just wait for a referral. I'm like, all right, that's a problem because you've not filled the funnel. So there's a traffic problem there. So now it allows me to diagnose someone's business very quickly and they can see why that's, why that's broken. Because I know that if Darren gets a referral, the conversion is easy and the skills are easy. So he's has a traffic problem. A big part of understanding the integration between traffic systems and skills is what helps us build a million dollar business and diagnose if something is broken. I love that. I mean, that diagnosis part, I hadn't actually heard out of your mouth. I love that. It's just, it provides you that, um, you know, you find these, I mean, John Teplak uses this a lot, like the tiny hinges that swings the big doors, yeah. right? It's whatever problem or bottleneck that you're finding. And the clearer you can look at this business, the faster you can find that part that you just need to unclog, you know what I mean? Or to fix. And uh, I love that you shared that. I know Hormozy, right? He speaks <laughs> to that. I don't know if he's a big part of what, uh, what, how he spends. He told me he, he not told me, but he told on a podcast that he'll spend seven, eight hours some days trying to just simplify. Oh, right? so it, I, I mean, Alex is a good friend of mine and yeah. um, he, I chatting with him last night and he told me his current book, uh, which is hundred million leads. He, he wrote roughly 824 pages and he spent 3,500 hours on it. And now it's down to under 200 pages. So think about that. He went from 800 pages to 200 pages. 15% of it is just diagrams. So he's trying really, really hard to simplify it so that when someone sees something, they can instantly get the idea or diagnose it very quickly. We stuck. The reason why a confused mind stalls is we have no diagnostic capability. The reason I can look at any of your businesses and, and pick something off really quick is not that I'm smart. I just take my traffic system skills filter. I overlay it on your business and I see which one is broken and I pick up that on that first. And it looks a lot more natural because I've done it a thousand times, but it's a good diagnostic. And I use that every single time because it allows me the first good conversation so you can get a quick win right away. Lovely. If you were getting into this business today and we plunked you into a new market, do you know like which path you would take to build it today? Like where would you go? Yeah, my, what I would do is uh, assume I didn't have any money. I, I would pick, I would pick a farm. like. So I would pick a farm and I would do 
I would I would find I'd do some kind of event in that farm saying I would say, oh, I'd go find a recycling company that would come and get it for free. I would do a sign up sheet and I would get that way. I'll get the first 10, 15 people on my list. And I would literally put all of them in BCC and start writing emails every single day. Right. And so I would write emails maybe two, three, four times a week saying, hey, deal of the week in Laguna, deal of the week here. Uh, one property came on the market and sold quickly. I just want to start building that because I don't know what else to do. Right. I just need to get bigger people on the list. But take this idea. I need traffic. So I need to build, fill the funnel in some way. And then I need email, which is my system that I can actually set some appointments. And then I know that if I can get those two working and I can actually get an appointment, then the skills will kick in. I can even bring in Darren in an appointment, share the commission with him and actually get the deal done. But I would not do any deals by myself, the first five deals. I would go co-partner with somebody else, have them do all the work, learn how they did that deal in that marketplace because I would have no idea. But I would focus on how do I generate traffic in a local market? What systems do I have? Use email, make it easy. That way I don't need a phone. I can just write email. Just do that. As soon as I get to a hundred names, meetings will start to happen pretty naturally. You know, that parlays into a story that I remember from you telling, again, on some other podcasts, I heard you back probably 2016. I don't know if you remember this, but you shared a story that you were driving somewhere near your home. And you went into uh, like a, you saw you followed an open house sign. And then you went in and you went to t you went into the open house. Then you met this guy. Then you you had the forethought to say, well, I'm going to go dig a little bit because I, I know you like to dig. And he you asked a couple of the neighbors on your way out of this crescent about who is the top agent in the market. And they both said this same person that was hosting the open house. And then you went further and said, you know what? I have the power to check this out. So you went into the open into the MLS system. You found out this person had never sold a home in the area. And yet the power of this guy who had just been hosting open houses over and over going with no sales had tricked the community with this perceived value that this guy is the top agent. Yeah. Do you believe that's still possible today? Do you believe that, that that is still in the consumer's world and mind that we should like go and hijack? I 100% believe this because I've been trying to get my wife, who is not in the real estate business at all. And I told her, honey, all I need you to do is just get your license and let me do one photo shoot. You never have to talk to a client. I will do everything in the back end. Because all I would do is in our neighborhood, I would just every, every, every week, I would just point circular signs with her name and photo on it. And people say, oh my gosh, another Srivatsa. Like, this is amazing. And people think that we're now, is that, is that uncool to do? Probably if a home is really not for sale. But this guy in the neighborhood had a condo that he was living at. It was, he was living in it and he just put his condo up for rent. And he just put all the open house signs every Saturday and Sunday, a circular everywhere in the neighborhood pointing to his condo that he had for rent. And he had people through his condo over and over as they would come in, he would offer them cookies, he'd have a long conversation, and he knew every single neighbor, right? Which is amazing. And he would door knock people in the neighborhood saying he had his condo for rent. He would do it six, seven, he would do it every week, which is amazing. And people just got to know him. And because of that, he became the number one, he built his business just having living in that neighborhood and pointing circular open house signs because perception is what people see and perception is reality. So if we can get more eyeballs on social, more emails in inbox, more signs in marketplace, I think you can hijack, I think you can hijack perception very quickly. Oh yeah. I mean, my, my farm growth story was incredibly fast with zero experience. And I think lots off the backs mentally of what you shared, you know, years ago. So I thank you for that. I know we're running out of time here. Um, I want one quick thing. How important is the agent to agent referral network for realtors today? 
how how important do we need to be focusing on that because it seems you know it's not hitting clients and real estate conversations but you and i know some agents that are incredibly good at this and that drives a huge part of their business but so many of us don't can you can you comment on that before i let you go Yeah, yeah totally i believe that every single agent should have a their own referral network to start so if I were, if, if Darren and I were talking about this, I would say, okay, what are 20 big cities in the US and Canada? Let me have one friend in each of these marketplaces. Let me pool all my friends together in one Facebook group chat. They're all in their own marketplaces. And as and when deals come up and referrals happen, it will naturally happen for you. The reason is now, if Darren and I had 18 friends on a group chat, we now have 18 evangelists in the marketplace that we could never do ourselves. And having other people be your evangelist is really powerful. So every single agent can do this. You already probably know you have seven, eight people that you refer generally, put them all in a group chat. Now it's focused. Have them add a few more people in the right marketplaces. You've created your own referral network. You don't even have to use them exclusively, but at least now you have some camaraderie. And those 18, 20 people are constantly saying, oh, you're moving to Calgary? Like, let me introduce you to Darren. So now you have, what we think a lot of times is you you don't want a sales force. You want a lead source. So I always tell people it's about a lead source, not a sales force. And if you can have a lot of evangelists out there, you have people beating the pavement to generate leads for you. And it's so easily done by, without any money, just by building a small community. So agent to agent referrals are powerful. Also the, what, if you if if I if Darren and I started this group, I would start to say, "Hey, uh, we just did this podcast, and uh, Sharon dropped this idea. We should all do this." And he would drop the clip. Now you can dog food your own content well, and support agents too, which I think is really powerful. So I don't know because I have to get ready and go to work here. So small Sorry. little things like that can dramatically impact uh, people, but uh, I think agent to agent referrals are powerful because it gives you a it gives you a group of evangelists out there that are selling for you while you don't have to. Yeah, I love it. And just the interconnectivity of our world, right? And again, I love it, man. I know you got to run because you're a busy man. Um, I appreciate you to no end. And like I said, I could ask you questions for hours and I really appreciate it. I'm sure the people that were live um, uh, just loved having this conversation. So again, I'm so honored that you're our president. It's it's honestly the best part of my career to date. So I'm excited. And thank you for spending uh, your time with us, my friend. Where, If somebody wants to take advantage and get on your list, um, yeah. where do they go for this? Um, yeah. So I actually have uh, something... A, a pretty decent value that I used to sell before that I'm giving away for free. It's called the Top Agent Power Pack. So if you're a real estate agent, go to topagentpowerpack.com. It has seven of my best money-making trainings. So you get all the trainings that I have done before. So it's totally free. And it'll give you a chance to see how I write emails. That way you can utilize and model them to your, your list as well. Amazing. All right. Well, we're getting lots of thanks yous. This was brilliant. So again, I'll let you go, my friend. This has been another Reeducation Experience podcast. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll catch you next time, my friend. Thanks, Darren.